We'll go to the book of Psalms, 139, verses 14 through 18, and we're continuing a series entitled Healing from Rejection, amen, which we started last week. And just as I did last week, I want everybody to read the text scripture with me because one of the things that the enemy tries to do in all of our lives is to heap different forms of rejection on us. So this text scripture is one that truly is a blessing, amen in regard to how God views us and how God formed and fashioned us. So I want each one of us to not only read it, but feel it in your gut as you're reading it. Amen? All right, Psalm 139, 14 through 18. Everybody ready? Praise the Lord. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. And curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all thy members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts, our minds, and our spirits right now through your word. We thank you, Father, for the time of being able to praise you and glorify you in song. We ask you right now that by your spirit, you would cause your word to fall on good ground, that it would root itself down deep. Also, Father, since your word is the sword of the spirit, we ask you, Father, if there's anything within us that has kept us bound, has kept us uh, living beneath our means in you, if we have suffered through any kinds of pain or anguish or trauma that we have not been able to get deliverance from, we ask you right now that through your word, you would penetrate us and you would surgically remove all those things. We thank you and praise you, Father, for this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. This is an awesome passage of scripture. Amen. With the mindset, I will praise thee because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, we've been taught by life, we've been sometimes taught by our teachers, we've been taught by our peers with peer pressure and bullying, we've been taught by society, sometimes in terms of our relationships where we've depended on people and they have betrayed us or have let us down. We have all these different areas in which we feel forms of rejection. And we see here that, contrary to that, God wanted us to view ourselves as fearfully, amen, And wonderfully made. That word fearfully means to be something that was done with reverence. God did not just randomly throw you out there and say, I'll see how they come out. Amen. You ever bake a cake and it goes flat? You ever try to build something and it falls apart? You ever try to measure something out and you don't do it quite quite correctly and it's a mess? Well, God did not do that with you. We see here that God says, my substance was not hid from him. God was fully aware of all the components that make up little old me. And it says that I was curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth and that your eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. God saw us in all of our imperfections, amen, before we were formed in fashion. And he took all the material that comprises us and said, I envision a destiny. I envision goals. I I even envision the things that are going to come against them to thwart their destiny. And I'm going to put within each one of them all the attributes, all the traits that they need to fulfill the destiny that I saw in my mind as I envision each one of us being born. Amen. When God formed and fashioned Adam... In the Garden of Eden, 
See, we think so small that we built something and we got tunnel vision. We see just that. But when God built Adam and breathed life into him, he knew not only that he was going to bring Eve out of him, but he also knew that they would be the parents of all of us that were yet to come. So when he built Adam, he says, I want to put within him everything that he needs to not only be successful and fruitful, but also that it would spread outward to all of us descendants so we could also have abundant lives in God. Amen? Hallelujah. So you are not junk. You are not randomly made. You are not born by accident. You are not an accident waiting to happen. You are something that God saw. Amen? He saw Kevin and said that he's going to be 6'4"? 6'3". <laughs> okay, I, g- I gave you an extra inch by faith. <laughs> he said, I see Kevin born in 1960-something. And he's going to have these attributes. He's going to look this way. He's going to talk this way. He's going to have this type of personality. Amen. And he may not be everybody's cup of tea, but because I need him to be evangelist, I'm going to create him with a personality that he can go talk to anybody about the gospel without feeling the pain of rejection because they say, I ain't trying to hear that God stuff. Amen. So he built him. So that he would have certain attributes that his life would be fruitful. And if you'll even find that if Kevin tries to focus on other areas, if he tries to be the singer, he might stumble. If he tries to be um, the person that's the televangelist on TV, maybe he's not built for TV. But when he gets into that niche that he was formed and crafted for, he feels energized. Guarantee you, don't you? Because that's what you were wired to do. Amen? Same thing with Shantae. She was crafted to bring forth the gospel and song. That's why when she sings, amen, everybody's like, whoa, I'm feeling something. Because she was wonderfully and fearfully made for the purpose of what was coming up out of her, amen. And it's not just the two of them. It's all of us in this room, amen. But the devil tries to deceive us and tell us by trauma from the past, by people speaking ungodly things into our lives, by different mistakes that we've made. I ain't talking about the ones that were done to you. I'm talking about the stuff you did yourself. All these different circumstances make us walk around with these drooped shoulders. Oh, woe is me and the pitiful life that is mine. Amen. One of the things that really bothers me in this day and age is, I'm not on there much anymore, but when I go on Facebook, I see some of the the young people, the teenagers, the 20-something. I can't even say it the way they say it because they use profanity, but basically saying, I hate my life. Like, how can you hate your life? Do you realize how precious you are? Amen? Do you realize how precious you are? You want to see an example of how precious you are? God says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me. Unto who? My thoughts unto little old you. Just think about that. Right now on the planet Earth, do you realize there's over 6 billion people? Multiply that by... All the people that have lived since the dawn of the earth, with, starting with Adam. And God says, I have enough focus, enough presence of mind that I have so many thoughts regarding you. And of all those people, that if you could count the sand on the beach, it would be more than that. Wow. God, think about you. And you. And yet the devil and people... And dysfunctional relationships and betrayals and traumatic experiences and mistakes teach you I'm worthless. But yet God says, if you could count the sand on the sea, my thoughts about you are greater than that. 
Now, I was crazy enough in the previous series that I told you that within a square foot of sand, if I recall correctly, there's over, with a medium-sized grain, because there's different sized grains of sand, but in a medium-sized grain of sand, which I think was like 0.75, a thousandth of an inch or something like that, within a square foot of sand, there's over 600,000 grains. That's a square foot. Multiply that by an entire beach, multiply that by the beaches across the whole earth, and God says, I have more thoughts about you than all those grains of sand. But yet life tries to tell you, I'm inadequate, I'm nothing, I'm worthless, I ain't going to never amount to anything. Amen? So what are we going to believe? We're going to believe in what society, our socioeconomic background, our family relationships and our backgrounds, our mistakes, all these different things, are we going to believe them or are we going to choose now to start believing what God's word says? Amen? Because no matter what anybody tells you, God says you are a priceless, unique commodity. Amen? Hallelujah. So last week we looked at rejection versus reality. And I shared that there's sometimes that we're going to deal with rejection and Rejection sometimes comes because we're just not thinking right, or we're trying to do something we're not called to do, or we're positioned somewhere where we don't need to be. We need to recognize the difference between sometimes facing reality and true rejection, where somebody's doing something personal to you to wound you in your mind, your heart, your spirit. Then we looked at the root of rejection, and we also looked at some of the wounds that come with rejection and how those things can become a part of you that stays with you throughout the years if you don't get delivered from them. Amen? And see, a lot of times people say, oh, it didn't bother me that much. Well, if it didn't bother you that much, why is it five years later somebody says something similar and the hairs go up in the back of your neck? Why is it that if somebody does something, you start feeling yourself getting agitated or angry? And it's not even the same person that did that. So we need to try to be more real with ourselves. And sometimes we got to go to God himself and says, hey, is that something that attached itself to me or rooted itself inside of me? And if it did, I need you to pull it out of me so it doesn't hinder me. Because the reality is those things that are suppressed and hidden or numbed down within you, those are the things that you may not think or carrying a weight, or hindering your life, amen, but they put tainted glasses over your eyes that basically corrupt everything you're seeing in terms of your outlook of life, amen, and a lot of times they weigh down on you, they hinder you, a lot of times God has opportunities before you that he wants you to engage in, but because of how you view things, you won't even step out there into the, the opportunity, amen, because the pain of rejection you experienced before prevents you from going and venturing into the deep now. Amen? See, I tell people all the time. Sometimes people say, I'd rather stay in the hell I'm in right now than to venture out into something that is unknown and foreign to me. Because of fear that it's going to be the same old, same old. Amen? And yet God says, I'm opening up the doors for you. I want you to walk into something new. Amen? Hallelujah. So anyway, we're going to go further today, and we're going to start looking at some manifestations of rejection. Manifestations of rejection. Um, first, we're going to read 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 8. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. 
And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Wow. All right, one of the things you've got to see in terms of the background here is that, as a lot of you are aware, Saul the king, when he found out that David was anointed to be the future king, Saul made multiple attempts on David's life. He threw spears at him. He chased him into caves. I mean, he sent troops after him. He threatened anybody that supported David that I'll kill you if you help hide him. So David was running and running, and they went through different situations where David could have even killed him on one occasion, cut the edge of his garment off and showed him, like, look, I had you, man, but I didn't kill you. Can't we be at peace? And yet Saul tried to kill him again. So needless to say... A fateful day came on the battlefield where Saul died and Jonathan died as well. And when, when the news got back to the, to the nursemaid of Mephibosheth, who was holding him, he was an infant, she heard the news of Saul and Jonathan dying. She was so shocked that she dropped Mephibosheth and he was crippled for his life. Amen? Now, David ascends to the throne and really by the right of, of, of ascension, a king typically, to, pre- to prevent there being any future coup, uh, I'm sorry, coups against his kingdom, he would send his people out, his troops out, and he would kill the previous um, regime so that nobody would try to come up against him. But instead of doing that, David said, I want to seek him out so that I can bless him instead of taking his life. Now, Mephibosheth, they found him in this place called Lodabard. If you really look at the underlying meaning, it basically means pastureless. Amen. Now think about that. The 23rd Psalm talks about us laying down in green pastures, place of rest. Amen. But yet Lodabar is called a place that is pastureless. In other words, it's a place of no rest. It's a place of despair. So he literally finds the man living in a place that is associated with being full of despair. So anyway, David sends his people out, he finds him, he brings him back, and he says, I want to bless you. And Mephibosheth says, why do you want to bless a dead dog such as I? Now that sounds bad enough that he said dead dog. But to really understand what he was saying, you have to know what he was was saying in the underlying Hebrew. The word dog there is not dog the animal. The word dog in the underlying Hebrew means a male prostitute. Ouch. Yeah, you, Shantae making a stink face. <laughs> I mean, now, now how does this relate to rejection? If you really look at this, let's take a step back. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the prince of the kingdom, 
grandson of Saul the king, his life destiny really should have been that after his dad died, he would be next in line and he would eventually be a king one day. Amen? So instead of being the king, this man is reduced to not only being physically crippled for life, but also he has to serve his people as a male prostitute just to get three square meals. Now put that into our modern mindset, the community. Everybody knows that's the king. Oh, look at the king doing tricks. Amen? You know how people talk. You know how people are when they, let's, let's be real. You know how people are and how they talk about people. So they're probably sitting there like, he's supposed to be the king. Look at the future king. You know how people are. They look at people. Oh, he's supposed to, his dad was, his dad was a cop and look at him doing crime. His dad was a lawyer. Look at him. He's a Debbie. His, his kids, you know, he was a physician and look at all his kids. No account. Can't stay anywhere straight. Can't get an education. You know how people talk. So this is a man that was supposed to be a future king and he is a prostitute in a place that's known as a place of despair. So when David calls him out and says, come here and eat at my table, you know, continually, he's like, why would you want to bless somebody that's nothing but a crippled male prostitute? Why do you want to bless me? But the thing is, as it relates to rejection, we have to look at the fact that David represented God the Father. Mephibosheth represented a sinful mankind. Amen? Or a broken and hurt mankind. And as David reached out to him, David says, I don't care what your circumstances are. I don't care what you are and what people say about you. I want you to come in and sup at my table. Be a son to me. I don't want to bless you at a distance and just send money and food to take care of you. I want you to come and sit at my table daily so that I can treat you like a son. I can show you love. I can communicate with you. But yet because of his mental, physical, and emotional condition... Even though David said, I want to be a father to you and treat you like a son, even though the blessing was there, all he could see was the pain, the discouragement, the rejection, and the sins that he had committed in his life. So the blessing was there. He heard it. He saw it. He could touch David. But yet, I can't accept it because look at me. I'm worthless. I'm nothing. So what does that say to us? Amen. Some of us, I'm not sure, I don't think any of us have gone that far into the dregs of life. Amen. But the fact is, some of us have gone through different experiences in our life. Amen. Things that we've done, things that have been done to us, ways in which we viewed or, or, or felt a certain way about ourselves. And the same way that David was speaking to Mephibosheth and saying, be a son to me, no strings attached. No looking down with you with a, you know incriminating stare or attitude, but just coming to be a son to me. Some of us are the same way with Father God. Amen? We're looking through the lens, the attitude, the emotional hurt, the pain, the trauma, the continual incrimination and other attitudes that we have about ourselves, despite the fact of what God is trying to do in us. Amen? Hallelujah. So we have to, once again, look at ourselves according to the perspective of God. What does God want to do in us? What is God trying to speak to us? Amen. God is saying according to his word that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And the thing I like about the text scripture, it talks about, and that my soul knoweth right well. That, that phrase, my soul knoweth right well, 
It's talking about knowing that with a passion. Amen. Not just saying it with lip service, but having the mindset that I truly believe these things that I'm saying about myself. Amen. You ever see people that basically say one thing out of their mouth, but you could tell by their behavior and their body language that they're really feeling quite another? Amen. It's the same in the body of Christ. A lot of people are going through the same things. We're going through one year, five years, ten years of professing the things of God, but yet we really don't have it in our heart of hearts. But God wants to get us to the place where we're really feeling it. And not only feeling it, but experiencing it, knowing that we are truly accepted in the beloved. Amen? No strings attached. (laughs) No need to grovel before the presence of God, but going into our Heavenly Father and saying, Abba, Father, I'm here to talk to you. What is, God, what is Jesus saying in the book of Revelation 3.20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man come in, what he says he going, he's going to do, I will sup with him. When Jesus sups with you, do you think you're just sitting there eating a plate of food, no communication? He's reading the newspaper? No, he wants to communicate with you. He wants to have an exchange with you. Amen? But you have to be willing to get to the place where you start seeing yourself, if you've been struggling with rejection, seeing yourself in another light so that you can fully come in and experience God to the fullest with no things, no barriers. Amen? Mind, body, or spirit. Now, what are some symptoms of rejection? This is not all of them. I don't know if y'all can see this good, but these are just some of the ones that came to mind. And there's probably a thousand more that I didn't list. Low self-image, insecurity, withdrawn personality, self-incrimination, self-hatred, people-pleasing behavior, a feeling of worthlessness, a continual sense of failure, inner agony or turmoil, inferiority, questioning your existence or identity, developing a facade, Phoniness. That reminds me of, was it uh, Smokey Robinson? Tears of a clown when there's no one around. That's what that song's about. That's what that song's about. See the smile on my face. You know, he, he's talking about all this stuff. And he basically says, the saddest thing known to man is nothing sadder than the tears of the clown when no one's around. What he's basically talking about is that he's putting on a smiley face. He's laughing. He's acting all jovial. As soon as the show's over. He's sad or he's an alcoholic or whatever. Amen. There's people that live that way, though. Amen. Including in the church. Starving for love. (laughs) Promiscuity. Unworthiness. Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection can actually lead you to going into more things that can cause that. Self-deprecation. Criticism. A sense of abandonment. Self-accusations. Unable to accept love. No lasting relationships. Seeking acceptance through works. That really kind of goes to people-pleasing. Not only unable to accept love, unable to give love because you're scared. If I give it out, my heart will be broken. Depression, anger, jealousy regarding relationships. I can't have a fruitful relationship. I'm jealous of anybody else that has one. Amen? Covetousness. I want what they have. I don't feel worthy to get it, but I, so when I see somebody else get it, I'm jealous of them and I want what they have. Smothering behavior. I'm so insecure and I feel so rejected that I have to smother you when you're in my life. Amen? Or you might free yourself of me. Instead of just saying, like, I'm precious enough that somebody would want me. Amen? Hallelujah. Controlling behavior. Neediness. Like I said, those are just some. I mean, there's, there's a thousand more manifestations. 
Hallelujah. So one of the things I want to look at is some of the types of rejection. What are some of the types of rejection? First one I want to look at is heritage-related. And really it goes back to the garden. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, 22 through 24. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And this is really paralleling, well not necessarily paralleling, but it's like what happened to Satan, we're basically tricked into letting the same thing happen to us. Amen? Because Satan tried to overthrow God. Amen? And God cast him out of heaven. And Satan in his jealousy said, I despise mankind. I'm going to destroy them as well. But the first stage of that was the same way I am cast out. I'm going to make sure that happens in the life of man. And we see here it says that the Lord cast them or sent them forth from the Garden of Eden. And he drove out the man. The word drove in underlying Hebrew means to expatriate or divorce. To expatriate or divorce. It also means to put away or thrust out. So God cast us out of the garden. So it's really the first form of rejection that man felt. But here's the thing. Even though it was a, f- a form of being thrust out of the garden, it was actually a form of love. Because you see here, the God said, lest he take up his hand and eat of the tree of life, I need to drive him out of the garden. So God, even though he cast them out or thrust them out of the garden, he actually did it as a token of love. Because if they stayed there in the garden, full of sin, and continually eating of the tree of life, a thousand years, anger, hatred, bitterness, (laughs) jealousies, 2,000 years, they literally been eating in life, but yet the sin would have kept building up and building up and building up. So God had to drive them out of the garden for their own good. But I thank God that even though he thrust us out of the garden, he still had a plan, even before he did it, to restore man back unto himself through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. So Satan meant it for evil. He set the stage for mankind as a whole to experience the rejection of being thrust out of the garden. And we were cast out of our earthly paradise the same way that he was cast out of heaven. But, like I said, it was an act of mercy upon God, and even though it was something that was done to mankind as a whole, God still had a, man, I'm sorry, a plan of restoration to reconcile him under himself. The only thing is, a lot of people that are unsaved, I don't know how you were before you accepted Jesus Christ. With me, I saw God as a negative. I saw him as the big, you know, ogre in the sky with the bat that was waiting in there, like, bam, hit me on the head. Every time I, I sin, that's really, that's how I visualize him. I saw a God of judgment. I saw a God of wrath. And I knew I wanted to serve him one day, but I was basically out there in the world partying and drinking and sowing my wild oats. And I was just saying, Lord, just let me get to 30 when I'm ready to settle down and I'll come in, I'll serve you and I'll be faithful. But right now I want to have fun. So I was really playing with time and I knew it. Huh? You know, having, <laughs> having the mindset 
that I want to, I was willing to take the chance, play with fire, real fire, and hope that I made it in time into acceptance of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So, um, the garden, Adam and Eve was thrust out, but basically this was something that all of mankind was subjected to in terms of getting thrust out. So I believe that mankind as a whole has a, a sense of rejection from God, amen? It's thinking that, as I said, there's this judge, judgment, mental God that's willing to punish us, and we have this sense of fear or, or distance from him that he wants to heal. Now, let's look at what God says, though. You know, he sent Adam and Eve out, which was representative of, of basically thrusting out the whole nation or the whole uh, uh, race of man out of the garden. But we see here God and how he truly sees us. Acts seventeen twenty four through 28 says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation." That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. We actually sang this earlier today. For in him we live and move and have our being. Amen? Hallelujah. So we see here that God thrusts Adam and Eve, which is really representative of the whole human race, out of the garden, and we've been pretty much under a sense of rejection as a result of that until we get reconciled with God. But one of the ways in which the enemy has preyed upon that over the years is that he has given this heritage-related um, rejection that often comes in the form of racism. Amen? Hallelujah. We see here that God says that I'm made of one blood, all nations for to dwell on the earth. One blood. You know, the Germans, during the time of Hitler, thought they were the supreme race, the master race, as they called it. The Japanese at one time thought they were the master race. They've had different cultures that try to manipulate to form chemically or through biological engineering the master race. But the reality is, no matter where you came from on the planet, no matter what your ancestry was, God says that I made all of you of one race. So, <laughs> praise the Lord. So racism is literally man's hatred of self. When God intended for all of us in our varying shades and colors and regions of the world and differences in language and stuff, God really wanted all of us to complement and blend each other. Amen? Hallelujah. And contrary to what racism and false religious philosophies preach, he views all races priceless and he has appointed the times and the seasons for everybody to be here. We see that in verse 26. It says, Have made of one blood all nations, and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God appointed. In other words, as I told you earlier, God envisioned and ordained a certain time, a certain season, that every person born on this earth would be here. It doesn't matter whether you're Italian, Indian, German, Pakistanian, 
Afghanistanian or whatever they call it, amen? It does not matter what you're made of, amen? That's just the enemy trying to get in and produce more hatred for people to kill people or people to distance themselves from each other, amen? The Word of God tells us that the body of Christ is made up of many members and that all of us should have the same care for each other. So especially in the church, why do we have any forms of, of, of schisms such as that? You know, I remember back in my college years, um, I basically saw it. They talked about this guy on my campus. I was down in North Carolina, and that was unique at that time. It was in the 70s. I was down in Greensboro one time, and we went down to this one area where they had a pizzeria, and I had a gun pulled on me, actually a shotgun pulled on me, because they didn't like us black folk being down there. <laughs> and I was, with some mem- I was with some members of um, my basketball team, just walking down to get something to eat after practice, and this guy just jumps out of his truck. Y'all, you know the word. Get up out of here. And it was the first time I life. I'm from New Jersey, so I'm like, and I'm not born in a gang center, so I, I ain't used to people just out of nowhere jumping out of the truck and get your butts out of here. I'm like, <laughs> but one thing I liked about Going crossing the racial lines that day is that I had a country. Actually, we called the guy Big Country. Well, this white guy on our team, he was one of our centers. And this guy jumps out of the truck, pulls a rifle, and he just walks over, give me that thing. And I'm sitting there like, I don't know if I'm more amazed at the fact that the guy pulled a rifle on me or the fact that he jumped over there and yanked it out of his hand like it was nothing. <laughs> but I was like, whoa. Then they had a Klan rally down there, and then, and then they had a... Um, a guy on campus that was rumored to be a KKK member. And basically, everybody on the campus was distancing themselves from that guy. And I know if it was true or not. And I'm crazy enough that I'll, I'll just venture into the areas that I probably shouldn't go into. But one day I'm in the cafeteria. It's crowded. As usual, this guy's at a table pretty much by himself. So I looked around. Like, no seats. Seat. Oh, well. So I walk over there. I said, anybody sitting there? He's just like, so I sit down, and because I like to, at that time, I like to test the waters and stuff, I try to converse with him, and he just, or ignore me. So then I see him another day. This time I don't ask. I just sit down. I start talking to him, and he kind of begrudgingly talks a little bit. And then after a while, I sit down more and more, and we start to actually engage in full conversations. And I remember this one day, it was this thing. This before I was saved, too. So I was like, if I could do this when I was unsaved and I was a mess, how much more so can I bridge the gap of racism now that I had the power of the Holy Spirit, amen, in my life? But I, I talked to this guy, and he finally told me this one day. He said, you know what? He said, I'm not going to say I love you people, but I will say that I don't believe all the things that my parents told me about you all anymore. So I was like, that's progress. <laughs> So sometimes we have to step across the lines, and we have to challenge those lines. We can't be fearful of those lines. You know, the, the, if nobody ever gets exposed to you and your differences, how would they know that the stuff that they hear about you in terms of stereotypes aren't true? Unless we step across the line and say, let me show you something different than all the lies you heard. And that's the thing. Satan is putting lies in the ears of all people. And he's preying upon our fears. And the whole time we're sitting there eyeing somebody else because they're a different race, a different culture. They do certain things differently. They eat different types of food or they dress a different way. Satan is laughing the whole time that we're doing that. Amen? 
And yes, I believe Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, is the only way to salvation. But I still believe that Jesus himself will say, cross the barriers. Amen. He talked to the Samaritans. Amen. Matter of fact, he challenged um, Syrah Phoenician woman. She came to him and said, hey, can you heal my child as an unclean spirit? He said, the blessings of the king of God ain't for the dogs. I'm paraphrasing. She said, hey, the dogs will eat the crumbs of the table. He said, oh, your daughter's going to be healed. <laughs> so he would test the waters, but yet he crossed the lines and all the barriers. Amen. Hallelujah. Like I said, Satan uses heritage-related rejection to incite hatred in the lives of people. And we've all experienced it. I've been followed in the stores for no reason. Amen? I had the eyes peeking around corners and stuff as I'm driving through the stores. I used to go to the speed line. I'd be in a full suit with a briefcase, sit down next to certain women of a certain race and see them going like that. So I know what it's like to deal with that. But what I'm saying today is just because they act that way don't mean you have to join them. Amen? Hallelujah. Show them something better. Amen? Show them the love of Jesus Christ despite how they conduct themselves. Amen? Hallelujah. Especially when they may only experience us through TV. Amen? Show them something different. So Satan incites hatred to the point that nations, religions, ethnic groups, Political factions and other groupings have attempted to exterminate others who did not fit into their beliefs, practices, or ideals. And there have been atrocities repeated throughout history. Um, some of the examples. In the Bible, we see he tried to exterminate the Jews with the Canaanites, the Egyptians, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Hittites. In modern history, the Germans and the Muslims have tried to um, to, to snuff them out. We've even had religious writings. Martin Luther, the, the great religious reformer, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the one he was named after, he had writings that actually inspired Hitler to exterminate the Jews. And he was a religious reformer. Amen? Hallelujah. Um, so we had the Holocaust. Um, he tried to get non-Christians killed. Christians killed non-Christians during the Crusades or threatened them that you got to convert. We've seen Native Americans snuffed out. I mean, I just saw a commercial the other day. Uh, they actually had Native Americans in a canyon. And this is really sad. Native Americans at different places in the, in the thing. And they talked about, I think, only like 5% of them go to college. And the ad was basically encouraging the 5% to go to, that go to college, go back to your reservation and change lives around, inspire others. But it's, it's just a shame how we have ravaged their community for the sake of wealth and land. Amen? Hallelujah. Um, African Americans, of course, have gone through slavery and different things. But this is not something that is just in the United States. Um, in Uganda, you had Idi Amin, genocide, eating people. Amen? Iraq, Saddam Hussein, who gassed his own people. <laughs> Yugoslavia, you had the Serbs, the Croats, and the Muslims wiping each other out. And in recent news, Syria, they, they're, they're thinking that they've been using chemical warfare against their own people. So this is something that has gone on. Matter of fact, even in times where it hasn't been necessarily uh, to the point of losing lives, there are still areas where color has come into play, even within a race. In India, do you realize that the caste system really refers to the color system? That's what the caste system is about. There's some Indians that are lighter skinned, 
And there's some Indians that are darker skinned. The, lower, the darker skinned Indians are considered a lower caste. That's why if you see a Bollywood movie, what are the, the, what are the star actors? They're always light skinned, almost white. They high yellow or they're almost white because of the caste system. Amen? And now as we know in our color, we got red bone versus dark skin. We got curly hair and wavy hair versus coarser hair. Even in our own race, we got stuff. Amen? But we got to get to the point where we, like I said, we stop allowing these things to take a hold in our lives. Amen. We make a difference. We start to step across these things. And here's the thing. If you've been in a situation where you have been mistreated because, you know, your skin tone or your hair texture or your height or your weight or wherever it may be, people could think a certain way. But we got to get to the place where we, we start viewing ourselves according to how God views us. See, people may never change. Amen? People may never change. And I think that's what the, the expectation is for us to get healing. If those people apologize to me, or if those people treat me a certain way, or if those people accept me, I'll be whole. You're not going to get whole like that. Because even if the people you know right now apologize or do what you expect, the devil's going to set it up so somebody down the road is going to exhibit the same behavior or attitude. Amen? So in other words, you got to get to the place that you accept yourself in God despite what anybody does. Amen? That is the road to healing from rejection as it relates to your heritage. Hallelujah. All right, let me see. Uh, Acts 10, 34, 35, you can write this down. It says, of a truth... I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So God is not a respecter of persons. God loves everybody. That word respecter means he's not one who exhibits partiality, and he is not the acceptor of the face or the outward physical attributes of a person say, you're more, import- you're more important to me than another individual. God says, I look at the heart, I look at the mind and the spirit, I love you all equally. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, so we talked about heritage-related rejection. Another thing that the Lord told me to speak on is generational rejection. Generational. Generational. And that's some stuff. You know, we talk about generational curses. We talk about generational traits. Basically, I'm talking about stuff that goes down your family tree. Amen. And you can see that. Families where there's years and years, grandfathers or great-grandfathers and grandfathers and sons and children that are all alcoholics or drug addicts or they're gamblers or they're angry or they're full of lust. Or they have divorce running through the family. Or they have, you know, uh, just abuse running through the family tree. Amen? And I think sometimes we just look at it as an individual is doing this act. But if you really follow the trail of the family tree, you follow a lot of times there's a lot of stuff that is hidden that nobody ever talks about. Amen? Especially as it comes to incest and abuse. There's a lot of stuff that goes unspoken. It's hidden. You know, you might have times where people say, oh, well, you can't go hang with Uncle Johnny. Why? Well, just don't worry about it. But you, sh- you can hang with him here, but you can't go over his house solo because they know Uncle Johnny got a thing with touching kids. Amen? 
Or the situations where somebody comes out years later and says, I was abused by so-and-so. And then all of a sudden, like, what? He did it to me too. Wait a minute, he did it to you? I didn't know. Well, I didn't know he did it to you. See, it's a hidden thing. And the enemy preys upon that and uses that to instill shame in the victim so that they won't even bring out what has occurred. And unfortunately, a lot of times, abused people or people that have dealt with uh, either the, the, the sin itself or the repercussions of it, they come through the same highway or the roadway in terms of behavior and stuff like that. You know, you'll see situations, like I said, where alcoholism will run through the family line. Maybe you won't become an alcoholic, but because of the alcohol you saw in your parents, you grew up angry, you grew up fearful. And now you take that same anger and fear, you get married, and even though you're not an alcoholic, the anger and fear is now in your family. And do your kids feel that? Then they go out to the next family and they'll do something to them. Amen? And sometimes stuff will skip a generation. I'll just come into mind um, the Hemingway family. Ernest Hemingway, the great writer. If I recall correctly, his father committed, his great grandfather committed, his grandfather committed suicide. His father committed suicide. He committed suicide. And even though his children didn't commit suicide. One of his children became a transgender person that got hooked in drugs. And then I think a person that was one of the children of one of his grandchildren committed suicide. Yeah, Mario Hemingway. So suicide or a form of self-hatred went through the family tree. Amen? But it was only really detected after all these family members died. See, that's a generational curse that's going through the family line. But thank God, the blood of Jesus, amen, the sword of the Spirit, you could cut that thing, amen? It does not have to have a hold of you. It does not have to have a hold of you. You know, I tell, I tell um, Colin Trey all the time that I love him and I'm proud of him because I never knew a father. I had my father there my whole life, but I never had a father that hugged me and said he loved me or was proud of me. I can't, my brain cannot bring up the thought. And he may, he may have felt that way. He may have been extremely proud of me, but I wouldn't know it verbally. I do not, re- I seriously, as hard as I can like close my eyes and squeeze and try to remember all the occurrences throughout my life, I do not recall him coming up and doing this, nor do I recall him ever saying, son, I am so proud of you. Son, I love you. I don't remember it. And I'm not going to blame him. Because maybe in his background, especially them growing up in in North Carolina, and my mother grew up on a farm, and he didn't grow up on a farm, but he had a lot of siblings, one of nine siblings, and a lot of the siblings had to work just to stay afloat. And they had a a mother that died early. He married another woman, and maybe he didn't experience it himself, so he didn't know to do it in my life. Amen? But see, I'm at the point where through Jesus I can can get through that and I don't, it doesn't bother me and I know how to instill things into my sons. Amen? How about all the people that don't know how to overcome that and now we're bearing the weight of I was abused or I was neglected or I never had anybody speak into me to bless me. I just heard a testimony is it last week or the, I think the week before. There's a testimony um, this guy, he was um, a Jewish person and I just went to a bar mitzvah recently, and basically at the age of 13, they do a, a bat or bar mitzvah where they basically do rites of passage into adulthood, amen? And they speak blessings over you from the Torah. 
And um, there's this one guy in the testimony that says that his father was always angry and bitter, and he didn't know why. And he said as he um, got older and the grandfather was about to die, they said somehow it came up that the grandfather had never blessed and spoken over the son. So he went to the grandfather, and he says, hey, can you um, talk to dad? And I think they hadn't talked for years, and the relationship was just totally severed. But somehow he convinced him, and he called him up, and he spoke blessings over his life. And he said immediately after he did that, he saw immediate change in his father. It's like there's years and years of the weight of I have not been blessed and spoken over in a blessed manner by my father. And by his father doing it right before he passed, all of a sudden it just like, changed his father's life. He said his whole demeanor and everything changed just by his father speaking blessings over his life right before his passing. So we don't think, amen, that it's, it's a major thing. We don't think that necessarily it has an impact, but what we speak, amen, out of the abundance of the, the heart, the mouth speaking, and, and there's death and life and the power of the tongue, amen. We need to speak the blessings, and the way that generational curses happen is that things are spoken or things are done that go down throughout the generations and are not healed of. Amen? And that person is a host. The same way you could be the host to a disease, you are a host to pain and bitterness and anger and trauma and all these different things that you carry with you hidden. They're not healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now you put that into the lives of your children so it can keep going generation to generation. And the thing is, if it's not dealt with, with each coming generation, it typically grows larger and larger. Amen? Let's look at what God says. That's what I want. Exodus 20, 1 through 5. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So we see here that God himself says, I will visit iniquity, perversity, sin, ingrained strongholds, all these different things. I will visit them to the third and fourth generation if they are not repented of. And that word visiting means to approach with hostile intent. God said, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to bust it up. I'm going to judge it. So we have a choice. Are we going to repent of these things and break the family tree in the line and thank God for the blood of Jesus? Amen. Hallelujah. Which brings healing and restoration and peace to each one of us. God says that these things will be visited to the third or fourth generation. You, you remember in the Bible that there's a time that... Um, I can't remember if it was Moses or Joshua, wanted to wipe out the, the Amorites, and God said the cup of iniquity is not full. So he said, don't wipe them out yet. Then later on, God was like, get them. <laughs> he said, just destroy them. So there's a cup that gets filled up of iniquity, amen, that travels down between generations. And we got to realize, like I said, these things get 
heftier and heftier. They weigh down more and more upon family members. They go greater and greater in intensity. I remember one of the things I heard about Suzanne Summers. You remember she played the ditzy blonde on um, Three's Company years ago. Nowadays, she's pretty much known as like nutritional health and sometimes exercise products and books on healthy eating and stuff like that. And some of the stuff's a little flaky, but <laughs> she gets a little too extreme for some of the stuff I heard her say. But, <laughs> you know, you eating bark and stuff, like, I, I need me a steak sometime. <laughs> but uh, she gets a little crazy sometimes, but she, she means well. But, you know, one of the things we saw in her years and years because of the character, I think it was Chrissy on Three's Company, we kind of saw her as the ditzy blonde in real life, even though she wasn't. And I heard the testimony, and she talked about how she grew up among such intense alcoholism that not only were people drinking vodka and stuff um, straight at the dinner table every night, but it was just like they passed it to the kids like it was water. That's how she grew up. So I was like, wow, you know, I, I, just, I, develop, a new <laughs> I develop a new respect for her when I realized what she came through. Amen. And to, to, to come through all that and yet be, you know, become a successful actress and now an author and you know, things like that. So it was something. But like I said, we just got to realize that these emotional, physical, and spiritual things that are unhidden, unrepented of, or not presented to God the Father so he can heal, if we hold on to them, they leave a burden inside our hearts and stuff that whether we know it or not, we can implant that into the lives of our children as well. So we have to be careful about that. God does not want us holding on to stuff. God wants us to present it to him so he can purge it out of us. Amen? Hallelujah. I had hatred for somebody growing up. Amen? Intense hatred. To the point I was like, when I'm older, I'm going to kill that person. I mean, literally, that's how I grew up. I wanted to kill somebody. And I was like, when I get a certain age, I get big enough and strong enough, I'm going to do this. But one of the things the Lord did with me immediately after I got saved, he said, the same way you hate that person for what they did, he said, I can hate you for what you do. But because I'm a loving God, I choose to love you despite that hatred and that murderous attitude that you have in your heart. I choose to forgive you. I choose to accept you. I choose to love you. And he said, if I could choose to ignore what you did out there in the world, you could choose to have forgiveness for that person just as I chose to forgive you. Amen? Hallelujah. And see, and see here's the thing. It's really, you may, ask, you may ask, like, how in the world can I forgive that person for what they did to me? And what I'll share that worked for me is a matter of your attention, your focus, and what you choose to, to keep recalling in your heart. Amen? I chose, instead of looking at the person said this, the person did that. The person took me to this group of people, made me feel this small. And the person talked about me like a dog here and there. Instead of focusing on all that stuff, and I had plenty to focus on, I said, you know what? I'm not going to look at that stuff. I'm going to look at the time he taught me how to fish. He took me to Little League Baseball. Well, he took me to my guitar lesson, bought me a guitar, and paid for my guitar. See, I, I choose to focus on all the good stuff. That doesn't mean the bad stuff didn't happen. It did. But I changed my focus and said, I, ain't going to, I can't change that. And by me looking at and revisiting and rehashing all this, all I'm doing is pouring salt in my wound and rehearsing my pain. So instead, instead of seeing all that stuff that I was blessed enough to survive, I'm going to look at all the good stuff. Amen? So that's what my focus is. Now I still recall and speak about this stuff, 
But I speak about this stuff not with pain. I speak with it as, look what God has done and got me through. See, I don't feel that pain anymore. Amen? And here's the thing. Because I focus on all the good stuff, I could truly say I love the person that did all that stuff because I focus on the good. Amen? And I'm not saying to give a free pass. If somebody abuse you physically or mentally or whatever, I'm not saying that. I'm saying some people you're not going to be able to interact with because they just ain't right and ain't going to ever be right. And all they're going to ever do is heal you. So don't confuse what I'm saying with you have to forgive and now be a part of their life. I ain't saying that. I'm saying you can forgive them from a distance if need be, but don't sit here tormenting yourself by focusing on all that negative stuff. Amen? Hallelujah. Because see, as you're rehashing all that pain and stuff, you got all kinds of stuff going on in your body. Your heart's racing. You're getting headaches or migraines. You feel stress in your body. That stuff leads to, to, to strokes, heart attacks, arthritis, all kinds of ailments. Amen? I was just reading stuff and, like, you, you produce enzymes and stuff out of your body when you're thinking negatively. Amen? And um, there's, a, there's a book. We did a series on that before. Dr. Caroline Leaf, Blame It on the Brain. She is actually a person uh, who studied the brain for 20 years. She actually has pictures in her book showing that when you think negatively all the time, you build pathways in your brain that look like trees that when you think about situations, your brain automatically goes down those pathways. And you're sitting there like, why are you so negative? Or why am I so negative? You're negative because you built all these negative pathways. So until you use the word of God to uproot that mess and build new, godly, productive pathways, you may never get free of that stuff. Amen? You got to rebuild those pathways. Hallelujah. Amen? I was driving. I drove somewhere the other day. I used my GPS. It told me which roads to turn and navigate here and there. See, you got to realize your brain has a GPS of where your thought patterns are going. And see, somebody could be speaking to your life. Man, that opportunity is for you. It's got your name all over it. Wow, they're looking for somebody that has this gifting, this personality, this experience, all these different things. And they say, yes, that's yours. And you're like, no, it ain't. Why isn't it? Look, I just told you. I just gave you a list. This is all the things it says is yours. No, it's not. Because nothing ever works out for me. See, your brain is going down negative pathways, amen, and you're not allowing yourself to hear the truth of what God can have available for you. So you've got to retrain your brain. And see, I know it's not easy. It's not easy when you've been hurt and you've been broken and you've been abused and you've been abandoned and all these negative things. It's not easy. But I'm saying if you start the process one step at a time, speaking God's word, speaking God's promises, remembering that you were wonderfully and fearfully made by the hand of God himself, and you are not here by accident, you are here with a destiny, plan, and purpose that he's envisioned for you, you can get yourself out of the land of I'm rejected and I am nothing and into the land that I am God's servant and all opportunities are present before me. Amen? Hallelujah. I can fulfill things through, all, through Christ who strengthened me. I can fulfill it. I can be fruitful. I can be happy. I can be prosperous in God. Hallelujah. We got to change our mindset. I heard a preacher say one time, we got to get out of the stinking thinking. Some people got stinking thinking. And you know what? You could be saved for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And until you choose to renew your mind, the book of Ephesians talks about it. It said, be renewed in the spirit. He said, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. And it goes further on. It talks about be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
Not your spirit as in, I accepted Jesus Christ, yes and no. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Your mind has a spirit. So you could be saved. You did the sinner's prayer. If you die today, you'll be in glory. But just because you've been saved and you're, you're heaven bound, does that mean that your mind is renewed, been renewed? You've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Your mind has to be governed by God and his word, not by your emotions, not by your flesh, not by the stuff that's happened in the past. It has to be governed by the word of God. Otherwise, you could be bound and limited in what God has for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And see, this is something not only that you can live, but this is something that can be extended into your family as well. Amen. I like the people that ran to, to, to um, Peter. I think it was Peter. Yeah. In the book of um, Acts 16. And they ran to Peter and said, what must we, be, we do to be saved? And he said, just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and all your house can be saved. So you can believe in the promises of God, not only for you, but also your entire household. Amen. Hallelujah. You may have come out of dysfunction. Hallelujah. You may have come out of all kinds of trouble and turmoil and, re- and abuse. Amen. You may have come out of a life where people have spoken nothing but negative things about you and your potential. They could be speaking that stuff over your life right now, but you don't have to live out what people are promising. Amen. I see a lot of people living either vicariously through what people spoke over them. Well, you never amount to anything. This is all you'll be able to do. And they live in it. You're like, why am I, while I feel so depressed about life? Well, you're living out stuff they spoke about you. What is God speaking to you? Amen? Or you're living out ungodly but prophetic words. You ain't going to never do this. And you're never doing it. Why? Because people spoke into your life and then you subconsciously are living out what they spoke over you. That's why I said you have to renew the spirit of your mind. It don't matter what anybody else says about you. What does God say about you? Amen. What does the word of God say about me? That is what I need to do. And sometimes, like I said, it's hard to do. You don't know necessarily, like, can I do this? Is this for, for, for me? Or I don't necessarily feel this in my heart. I'll tell you this. If you say it and keep repeating different things, after a while, it will become a habit. You'll start speaking things positively, and after a while, you'll start believing it. Amen? And the Word of God illustrates if you just believe, well, it says two things. If you believe as a grain of a mustard seed, amen, this mountain shall be moved. That's one thing. But then there's a story where the guy's son was throwing himself in the fire, and Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus was like, okay, bam, healing. See, you give God a little bit, God will do a lot. So you may not be able to do the big thing and say, I fully believe you, God. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. I know this right well. You may be like, well, I ain't quite feeling it. But, Lord, you're going to get me through the day. God will work with you if you work with him. You do not have to be bound, hallelujah, by a spirit of rejection. Amen? Hallelujah. You do not have to be bound by a spirit of rejection. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, let me see. Some examples of patterns of dysfunctionality in the generations. Gideon, who threshed wheat by the wine press in Judges chapter 6. 
one of the things he said is that my family is the least in, Mala- in Manasseh. And he said, within my family, I am the least of the least. He thought he was nothing. But yet, even though he thought he was nothing, God, actually the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Ho, mighty man of valor. And he's probably like, who are you talking to? I know you're not talking to me. But they notice, the angel did not say, oh, yeah, you're correct. You're the least of the least. I'll go find somebody else. The angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, you shall smite the Midianites as one man. Amen? Hallelujah. So God sees more in you than you can ever see in yourself. And as I said uh, early on, as God having thoughts more than the sand on the beach, if God has all these positive, unique, wonderful thoughts about you, why in the world would he leave you to have a limited life that is full of rejection, insecurity, inadequacy? Why in the world would God do that? Matter of fact, why would God even create you? Why would he even create you if your life is nothing? If your life is destined for destruction, defeat, and failure? Why would he even create you? For him to create you with that being your fate, that's an act of cruelty. Think about it. If your life is to amount to nothing, for God to allow you to be here is an act of cruelty. It is. So that's definitely not what God envisioned for you. Maybe life's circumstances have made it feel that way now. Maybe people have spoken and done things to make you feel that way right now. But I'm telling you that without a shadow of a doubt, if you're here, if your heart is beating, your lungs are working, I don't see anybody toppling over, God has a plan, a vision, and a purpose for your life. And it's unique to you. Amen. I like to think of that Uncle Sam poster. Where during the war times, the Uncle Sam needs you. Uncle, Uncle Sam wants you. I like to think of that in terms of us. Uncle God, <laughs> or Father God. Father God wants you, and you, and you, and you. And see, the devil has taught us, like I said, with all our differences and all our quirks and all those little things that we look in the mirror, maybe literally, maybe emotionally, all those little quirks tell us, like, I'm not the one, I'm inadequate, I can't do it. Well, I fell a thousand times before. Why should I try to attempt number a thousand and one? Why? I'm only going to fail again. Every time I try it, I screw up. Every time I try to pass this test or try to get that job or try to attain this thing, I always fail. But maybe it's because you've always gone into it the mindset that you're going to fail. I told people before I, when I was in my college days, once again, I was unsaved. In my college days, every time I wanted a test, when I sat in that chair, I was back ready to tackle that teacher, give me my freaking test. You know why? Because before I went into the classroom, I did a personal pep rally. Every time, every midterm, every final, every Every um, project, every, I gave myself a personal pet rally. And what I mean by that is that no matter how difficult the test or the challenge was, I did all my work, I did all my research, I did things to the best of my capabilities. And when I got to the point where it's time to take the test, no matter how difficult it may have been and no matter how difficult the class may have been, I was like, I did the work, game on. I'm going in there, I'm going to bust this test up. So when I went into the classroom with an attitude, and if the teacher decided, like, oh, I want to lecture for 20 minutes or see if anybody has any questions before the test, I'd be like, man, come on, give me my test. I ain't time for these stupid questions, man. Give me my freaking test. Man, you're delaying my A. I want my test. 
They got questions? They should have met you last week. I want my test. I'm ready to go, man. That's how I went to my test. I, had, I got great grades. For those of you who are students, maybe you need to do the personal pep rally. Now, I cheer myself on. I cheer myself on every test. Go, Brian. Go. Go, Brian. B R I A. <laughs> go, Brian. Go. So I went to that class. Like, yeah, give me my test. I was ready to go. Got good grades. So you've been doing, struggling in class. Maybe it's because you haven't done the personal pep rally. You got to pump yourself up. Amen. Hallelujah. Book of Romans said you need to speak those things that be not as though they were. I am successful. I am a top student. Amen. If you're trying to get a business, I am an entrepreneur. I'm going to have a successful business. If you have a healing you need in the body, I am going to be healed by the blood of Jesus. If you have dysfunctional relationships, I am going to mend my dysfunctional relationships in my family. See, I'm not going to settle for being second class. I'm not going to be settling for second class. You, you kidding me? Second class? Y'all need to get attitudes about yourself. Second, third, fourth, tenth class, not even in the race, not even given consideration. What does that have to do with, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made? What does second, third, tenth, twentieth, not considerate, what does that have to do with what God's word says? The way I look at this, I will praise thee because I am fearfully wonderfully made, I am cream of the crop. I am the best. And I'm not talking about a prideful thing like, I'm the best and all y'all, poor you. No, I'm talking about we all number one. See, that's the crazy thing about God. Amen? We can all be cream of the crop, but we don't have to compete. I'm number one. You're number one. You're number one. One, 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 one. We are all Number one in Jesus Christ. Amen? Because he's made all of us unique. And the thing he's called us to, we are the one that he has ordained to complete it. So I don't have to walk around with a sad sack mentality, the world's doormat, the world's punching bag. Oh, well, maybe I'll trip myself through this one if I get lucky. No, you need to be going through it. God ordained me for this time of season. And yes, people have hurt me, people have b- betrayed me, people have wounded me, people may have abused me, people may, may have spoken to my life horrible things, but guess what? All that stuff is the stuff that I overcame to get where I am today. Amen? Hallelujah. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Hallelujah. The devil need to be in full of fear. I'm f- fearfully made as in I reverence you, Lord, at the, f- at the wonders of my makeup. But the other thing is I am full of the Holy Ghost, the temple of God I am, and the devil needs to tremble everywhere he sees me walking on the turf. Amen. The power of God is going with me everywhere I go. Hallelujah. Wonderfully and fearfully made. I am not a second-class citizen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. Let me see. So I talked about Gideon. And people, like I said, will try to speak things into your life to try to tell you you're nothing. I remember um, my father had a problem with alcoholism. And he was really trying to get it together, but it was too late. Years and years of abusing alcohol, years and years of... My mom... Grew up on a farm. She was country style cooking. And she cooked so well that, like, you grab the plate and you eat. And everything was perfect. My dad, they would send the plate over. They'd go to the salt shaker. 
So he had some poor dietary habits in terms of his consumption of um, sodium and his consumption of um, the, the wheat and the grains. And he smoked. So some of the stuff he really tried to purge himself in terms of the diet and the cigarettes, but he was still struggling some with the alcohol. And the thing that um, people do sometimes, they'll try to perceive you and look at you and speak into your life a certain way. This is a woman that uh, he started going to church before he had passed. And um, I was working at, um, was it AT&T? I think it was New Jersey Bell in Burlington City off of High Street. And I was working there, and he, um, he had joined the church, and he had joined the choir and everything, and he passed. And this woman was so gracious to me at the passing of my father that she came over to me as I was working, literally like a day or so after his death. She comes over to me and said, oh, well, I hope he got himself right coming into church, reeking of alcohol, trying to sing in the choir. I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, she's looking as I work because I was not redeemed Brian. She would have got a good up, down, back and cussing out. We had been anywhere but at a place of business because I was not redeemed then. But I was just like, how can you speak something like that into somebody's life? But it just shows you how some people will try to look into your life and speak stuff. And she even made the, the inference that I was the product of that and I would be an alcoholic as well. And that was my destiny. I was just like... How can you supposedly know in the word of God and have the spirit of Christ speaking to somebody's life that way? So even in the worst of times, people in their flesh or with their motives might try to speak stuff into your life. Amen. That would try to harm you and wound you. Amen. But we can't allow that to happen. Like I said, we have a priceless, precious destiny before God. Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm going to start with that today. Next week, we're going to start talking about the timing and the manner of your conception. Or it could be the conception of somebody you know. Amen? You know, before we close, I just want us to read the text scripture together again. Amen? And like I said, if you have not got this embedded into your heart, this is something that we can all definitely get into our heart. So let's all read this. Um, you know, let's all rise and we'll close with this verse. Praise you, Jesus. Psalm 139, 14 through 18. Let's all read. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written. Rich in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just going to close in a word of prayer. And if anybody needs uh, special prayer, uh, feel free to come forward. Amen. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank and praise you, Lord, as we're studying the, the subject of healing from rejection. Father, if any of us have uh, lived a lifestyle or gone through experiences in the past where we filled, uh, have felt rejected, Lord, going through either physical, spiritual, or emotional trauma, some of it which may have embedded itself into our hearts, our minds, and the core of our being, 
We ask you right now to by your spirit and by your supernatural power, hallelujah, by your word, that you would penetrate our minds and our hearts and our spirits, Father. Purge out every cancerous, destructive, demonic thought that was intended by the enemy, hallelujah, to destroy us and to limit us. We praise you right now, Father, that by your spirit, even the people that did it, whether they did it intentionally or they did it unknowingly, we ask you right now, Father, to forgive them for their unrighteousness, Lord. Some of them have gone through the same situations or trauma themselves. We ask you, Father, to pour out your peace, your healing, your salvation upon them. Deliver them, Father, from the stuff that they've gone through. But we ask you, Father, to also, as we would forgive them, Father, hallelujah, forgive us for any anger or bitterness or hatred we may have felt for them. And, Father, purge us, Father, from every wayward ungodly thought we ask you father to fill our hearts and our minds with your love uh destroy every ungodly thought and even as i talked about dr caroline leaf and the pathways that are built into our mind we ask you father to do mental surgery mind surgery on us father build new pathways father with your word hallelujah and just build those new pathways, Father. And as we would think and recall situations, Father, let it no longer bring us pain, Father, but let us use it as a testimony. Father, show us how to think on the good things that occurred, Father, in our lives instead of focusing on the bad. Hallelujah. Let us think upon the things that are fruitful to us, that edify us and strengthen us, Lord. And, Father, we just praise and thank you, Father, that if we've gone through life, whether we've done it knowingly or unknowingly, with a a spirit of rejection or with a mentality that we're inadequate, that we're insecure, that we're in need of people's approval, Father. We ask you right now, Father, to show us how to speak according to your word, to think of ourselves according to your word. And, Father, most of all, we ask that you would uh, strengthen our relationship with you. Hallelujah. We may have not had a great earthly father, but we thank you, Father, that you love us, you foreknew us, you had a unique plan and purpose and destiny in mind for us. We ask you, Father, to show us, hallelujah, how to hear your voice, how to feel your touch, and we thank you, Father, that you will heal us in our entire being. Let us draw closer to you, and Father, let us also be people that reconcile and heal the lives of others. We just praise and thank you, Father, for this. Give you the glory, honor, and the praise, Father, for the work you're doing in us. In the precious name of Jesus, hallelujah. Last but not least, Father, we thank you, Father, that if there's been any opportunities that we have failed to pursue, that you would show us how to go after those things in you, Father. It's not just us getting something, but it's us fulfilling your destiny. We praise and thank you, Father, for this. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.